Good morning. The reading this morning is from 1 Kings chapter 17. You can follow along on page 6 of your bulletin. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Some time later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word the Lord had spoken by Elijah. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse, and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Yancey. I'm the other pastor here with you today. And uh, glad to start off the new year with you as we anticipate the blessing of the Lord this year. With that, uh, let me pray as we begin to take a look uh, at Elijah's life. We'll be looking over the next several weeks 
uh, four passages dealing with Elijah the prophet and how God powerfully used him in the life of his people to bring his word. But for now, let's pray. Will you pray with me? Holy Father, the sustainer of all life, rest and abide with your people during the preaching of your word. Renew our hearts in your steadfast love and grace in this hour, we pray, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What a wonderful time of the year, really, right? I love this time of year because of all the newness that kicks off, all the, uh, the vows that people have made uh, kick off, whether it's uh, I'm going to hit the gym and stay committed this year, or uh, I need to eat right, eat better. You know, some people talking about going to a plant-based diet. Good luck with that. Or whether it is indeed financial stewardship that some people are thinking about as well. I'm, I'm going to spend wisely and give more. Whatever it is, however you do it, there's something that we all love and that we all will be devoted to no matter what. You may feel like the author of these lyrics in a love song to his wife. I was listening to this with, with my wife. I'm like, huh, what, what words are these? He says, another long night, 15-hour flight, making it about you. Going to sing Tokyo in spring, there's no sleep without you. This is our life, our only sacrifice. So it goes. The night turns to daytime. We go FaceTime to FaceTime. I'm missing the biggest part of me, and it shows. It shows. Do you ever get lonely like I do? Tell me how much you miss me when I'm not there beside you. It's getting harder and harder to breathe when I'm gone. So this singer is expressing the longing of his heart for his loved one. I sort of feel like that when I'm away from Crystal. There's a relational drought, if you will. You miss the person that you're in love with. Who or what is the love of your life that you're indeed missing, even today? What is the love that you're longing for? There might be all kinds of loves that you can name in this place today. Scripture does turn our attention again and again to the love that promises to never let you go. Whether in a long night of desperation, a 15-hour flight, and extreme loneliness, the word of God has been proclaiming through all the scripture his love for his people. I love you. I love you, my people. The word says that his loving kindness is better than life itself. He promises to never let you go. Though there are times, though, when it appears that the love of God has left his people. It appears that, that way. But this is not the case. Even in perilous times, situations like we find in 1 Kings 17, there is indeed sovereign love that God has for his people, even in the drought. Even when the ground is dry, even when there's no rain from heaven, there is sovereign love that God has for his people. And God sends his love in different ways. As we see in verse 1, God uses Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead. 
And Eliezer is someone that God has called. God has filled him with the word of God. He's devoted to God. He is the man that God is going to use to show his sovereign love in this passage. Elijah says to Ahab, who was a king during this time, a king in Israel, the northern tribes of Israel. A king, Ahab, is supposed to be God's representative for his people to carry out his statutes and his commandments. But instead, Ahab has sought other loves. Ahab has, the Bible says, he's done more evil in the eyes of the Lord than the kings that have come before him, more than anybody else that has come before him. King Ahab has turned his heart to loving the gods of the land. He married Jezebel, someone who is from a family of Baal worshipers, Baal, the god of rain and fertility. You pray unto him to release the, the gates of heaven, if you will, that the rain showers may come down. He's married Jezebel. He married into the family. Not only that, he's taken on Baal as his god. And this is a high disgrace for someone who has an inheritance of being delivered out of Egypt. And also, he go, it goes on, Scripture tells us that Ahab also built a house for Baal. And so he's encouraging people to worship Baal, this God, this foreign God. Even further, uh, the, 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 the queen mother of the gods, he's encouraging people to turn to the Asherah. Even further than that, Ahab is indeed joining Jezebel and killing off the prophets, God's own people. He's doing evil upon evil in the sight of the Lord. And so sovereign love has to come and come to God's people. And this word comes to Ahab. This is a word of love as well. As the Lord, this is what Elijah tells him, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years, these years except by my word. So there's a drought. The Lord, the God of Israel, as we see in this passage here, he lives. He's not indeed dead like the gods of the Lamb. He, he he's not, has been shut, shut out of the lives of his people, but he's active in the life, lives of his people. So even in, in the drought, he is the God of the living and not of the dead. He is the master and ruler of the universe. He is the sovereign reigning over all things. And so as we are introduced to Elijah here, we are introduced to God himself, or Elijah has a relationship with the God of Israel. His faith is alive. He believes and follows God's word. He brings this word of judgment, this word of discipline, this word of love to Ahab, the king. God could have chosen to cut him off, to do away with him, to crush him. But instead, he brings this word of discipline and of love to him. As he is putting an end to the gods of the land. God is putting the end to Baal. God is putting the end to the gods of the Canaanites and the Sidonians. He's putting an end to the idolatry that is in the land. And so 
Ahab should have known better, right? Because Ahab comes from this lines of king where God promises that he will provide for his people through the kings. As we think about even Ahab's forefather, who is Jeroboam, God told him, when God said, I'm going to deliver over to you, my people, these tribes, God told him, I will take you and you shall reign over all that your heart desires. And you shall be king over Israel. And if you will listen to all I command you and will walk in my ways and do what is right in my eyes by keeping my statutes and my commands, as my servant David did, I will be with you. And I will build you a sure house as I built for David. And I will give Israel to you. But instead of trusting the God, trusting God, he turns to the gods of the land and builds for himself an inheritance of iniquity all the way down to Ahab, as we see here. So the people in the land are suffering this severe drought, this severe lack of rain, lack of water, all because there's something deeper going on. God is pointing his people to the reality that there's a spiritual drought that's taking place. That their hearts have been turned away from him. That Ahab's heart has been turned away from him and to loving the gods of the land. That he is turning God's people to love the gods of the land as well. And God is not pleased with it. Sovereign love comes to do something about it. He is God after all. So the Bible does teach us when it rains, it does pour on the just and the unjust. It's the opposite as well. When there's lack, there's lack for the just and the unjust, for the rich and the poor, for the downtrodden and the rich. This is a national and a regional crisis. But for those who are turning to the Lord, our God, they have a better promise, don't they? They have a better inheritance. They have sovereign love that brings great security in a dry and weary land. They can trust that the sovereign love is able to sustain them no matter the hardship that they face. They can, they can trust that sovereign love is able to save them even from death. And this is indeed what they're facing in the land. Sovereign love secures in the drought. The Lord protects Elijah from Ahab who's known for killing the prophets. God comes to him here in verse 2. He says, depart from here, turn eastward, and hide yourself by the brook of Kirith, which is east of the Jordan. God is hiding Elijah for a time in the shelter of his wings at this brook. What does the Lord promise Elijah? Provisions. You shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded even the ravens, even some obscure birds, to feed you there. So what did Elijah do? He obeyed the word of God. He did exactly as God told him to do. You know, you know I wish this was the case in my life, right? Like when God tells me to do something, that I do it right away. I'm, I act more like my kids. You know, I drag my legs. I stomp up the stairs. I show God that I don't want to do it. It's too hard for me. 
But God knows exactly what we need. He knows we need this type of security so that we can move at the beat of his drum, not at the beat of our own drums. And so Elijah is obeying God. He went and did according to the word of God. He went and lived by this brook of Kirit that is east of the Jordan. He finds great security in the word of God here, in the promises of God by this brook. And God declares that he would. So the Lord gives this type of protection and promise provision. And the Lord faithfully provides all that Elijah needs. God told him what he was going to do. And God is fulfilling what he said he was going to do. God is hiding him away from a known enemy. And God is providing for him all that he needs. In the morning time, he has more than enough to eat. In the evening time, he has more than enough uh, to eat. In the morning time, he has more than enough to drink. And so in the evening, God is providing for Elijah here. So this episode really does remind me of what God did for the children of Israel as he protected them in the wilderness. If you remember the story, God saved them by his mighty arm and brought them out of the land of Egypt, and he brought them to himself. Even in the people's disobedience to go up in the land and to take the land that God had promised their forefather Abraham, God still had mercy on them. They were in the wilderness for 40 years, and they complained, we had much to eat in Egypt. We had finished. We had... They complained unto God, and God said, I know what I'll do. I'll send them bread from heaven. Every morning, they have more than enough. Throughout the day, they have more than enough to eat. God provided them water from the rock. God gave them drink, true drink. Isn't it interesting that Elijah is on the east side of the Jordan, maybe around the area where they entered the promised land, because it was right up until they came to the promised land that God provided more than enough for them through the manna and through the quail. And so here's Elijah in the same position, God being his ultimate security. God warned his people as well that when you enter the land, you have to do away with the gods of the land. Don't go after them. I'm your only source of security. I'm your spiritual reality and not those gods of the land. So Elijah is embodying the the people of Israel the promise of God's covenant faithfulness, his blessing to those that follow the word of the Lord. They will have plenty, even in scarcity. They will be secured from the land of their enemies and from their wanderings. This is the promise of God for his people. I have my sovereign love over you, and it's secure for you. Unlike in our day with the internet and with our phones. Me and Crystal, the other night we were uh, looking at a video that shocked us. It's like, your phone is always listening. There are people that can tap your phone. Some of you already have, know this, but still, just to come back, because we use our phones all the time. We think that they're secure. We say things in private on our phones, don't we? And even on our computers. But even with an app, someone can hack your, your phone and get all your information. Your computers can be hacked. 
People are paying great money for cybersecurity these days, for their businesses. And we think everything is secure, but it's not. It's not. And so I have to rest in the only security that I know. It's like, okay, back in the day, you remember the, the, the Norton viruses, the, the thing? It's like, I couldn't download that enough. It's like, I gotta get up there and protect, protect myself from these viruses. There's not enough protection that we can gain for ourselves. We do good to do well, to, to have some things to block, to have security, but God has to be the ultimate source of our security. He has to be the one that we look to, even when our information is all over the place, all over the screens of the world. Even when it's out there, we have to trust that God is able to keep us in his good name, not in our good name, in his word, not in our words. Do you have that type of security today? Is your life totally in his hand? Are you able to trust in his security? Not watching over your back to scheme and to have control over every situation in your relationships. Are you, are you able to let down the control freak in you and invite people into your lives to speak into your lives? Are you able to humble yourself and put the pride down so that we can be secure together, trusting God together, knowing that he is gracious to us to hold us together? Some of you have had failures in relationships, and God is telling you in this new year, perhaps, trust, renew, move back into those places where you are in great need in relationships with people right around you. It might even be your spouse that you've been mad at over Christmas break. But God is calling you to be humble and to, to trust in the security of his love. So God is our ultimate security, no matter the drought, no matter the situation, right? And sovereign love will sustain us even in the drought. He has been providing for Elijah, but the brook ran dry. Which gives evidence that the brook is running dry in other places in Israel, and the people are in great need. God does not send Elijah into Israel, but he sends Elijah all the way up to Zarephath. He, go, he sends him to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. And, and God sends him there in this territory of Baal, the God of the rain, the God of fertility. He sends him north, the land in Phoenicia. God is not confined by the borders of Israel. As one scholar notes, by demonstrating his power in Phoenicia, and his power to remedy the effects of the drought as he pleased, Israel God was also showing the impotence of Baal in his own homeland. This was a way of saying that the gods of the nations are an illusion. They have no power or are not gods at all. Yahweh, the Lord, the God of Israel, ruled also in the homeland of Jezebel's father, a known Baal worshiper. Her God had no power there, and he could scarcely be commended as worthy, as a worthy object of Israel's worship. The Lord graciously provides for Elijah through the generosity of one in that land, 
And that person in that land that God decides to sustain Elijah with is a widow. Someone who was known not to have much, barely making it, because they didn't have their husband there to help them. So he sends him there to this widow. The Lord is already at work in her heart, though. As it says in verse 9, Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Based on her interactions with Elijah at the city gate, she doesn't even have evidence that the Lord has already told her that the Lord is already working on her heart so that she can provide for Elijah. She doesn't even know God is at work in her. So it is for those who may come in here this morning. God is at work. So it is for your neighbors. God is at work. We don't know who those people are. We don't know how God has commanded the very hearts of people around us to turn to him and to trust in him. So God is causing his loving kindness to flow in areas where God is not worshipped. So Elijah called to her and said, bring me a little water that I may drink. That's one thing. And then he says, as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. She didn't even have bread in her hand. She had something to make bread. But you see, Elijah is already looking to the promises of God. God said, I have commanded a widow to feed you there. And even before she can have bread in her hand, Elijah is looking forward to the bread that the Lord will provide through her hands. He asked for something to eat. And she says, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare for myself and my son that we may do what? Eat and die. Through Elijah, God is interceding. And God is ready to sustain her even with his sovereign love. Elijah is asking for her last. But he is not concerned about the lack He's now looking forward to the abundance that God has promised. God said, I will commend, I have commanded her to feed you. And so her expectation is that it's so rough out here that the only thing I can look forward to is death. But God must be working, right? He must have been working in our heart because there's a glimmer of hope. Maybe it's just a saying, right? She says, as the Lord your God lives. Maybe it's like saying, God is my witness. You know, I don't have anything. I, it's, to me, it's like a, she called on the name of the, the Lord, the God of Israel. As the Lord, your God lives. She, she, I don't think she's talking about Baal here. But there's a glimmer of hope in this, in her generosity that she extends towards Elijah. Even when she knows she doesn't have enough, God is already working in the heart so that she may overflow with generosity. So that she may be the recipient of his joy. 
I don't know about you, but uh, over Christmas, the over Christmas break, you know, sometimes when you give people gifts, you know, they just look at it it's like, and they say, oh, thank you. Uh, you know, there, there's a little bit of, I'm, not, I'm thankful, I guess, but not really pleased with this gift. I don't know what to do with it. But then there are other times where people are excited. Oh, you shouldn't have. I can't believe it. That's how Crystal was when I got her. <laughs> she knew that I was going to provide what she asked for. But still, when she opened the present, it was like, I was just so shocked that you did it. I can't believe it. It's just what I wanted. How did you know what you told me? Anyway, I'm just surprised. That's how she was. I I was like, wow, this is awesome. I'm getting points racked up right here. But that's how it is in the generosity of the Lord, right? It deepens our joy. Even when God tells us, promises that he's going to provide what we need. But when he comes through with it, we, we should be surprised. We should be joyful. God, you did this for me because I'm not worthy, right? I'm not worthy. And so the gift is truly a gift. It's a work of grace, a work of his favor towards me. Something that I didn't earn nor can earn, but something that my father has chosen to give or a friend has chosen to give. It all comes from his hand and deepening the joy, the surprise of joy in our hearts. And so God in his sustaining love does that with his people. Can we trust this type of sustaining love? Sometimes it is hard to trust this type when we look around and we see our lack. And sometimes it's all we can look at in our lives, what we don't have. And then we are complaining about the things that we don't have when what's before us is sufficient enough for the Lord to work through that thing. Be it maybe food, maybe your finances, Maybe it is the job that you have but not quite content with. God is saying, no, I want you to look at what I have given you and work it. Be blessed by it. Use it. Watch me grow it. This is the nature of the gospel of grace, is it not? Working in our lives. God is able to sustain us with the very little that he gives us. So that we can be surprised by the bigness of his love in our lives. Let's trust in God's great security over us. Let's also trust in God's ways of sustaining us. Ways that we don't even ask sometimes. But also, let's trust that God is still in the the face of death. That he still is able to save us in the midst of the drought. Elijah said to her, do not be afraid. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. Because this this is the explanation. This is the promise here. God directs her attention. Elijah directs her attention to God and his word and his promises Verse 14, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, 
the God that has saved his people, the joy flower shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. This is the great promise that, that there will be more than enough, that God would have poured out the abundance of his blessing. We don't know when the rain will come, but this is what God has said, and we can rest upon it. That you don't have to fear and look forward to death. You don't have to settle your accounts on your own. Let God be the one that show you his flourishing. Don't give up just yet. Let God brings, bring this new way of saving you and your household. And she went and did as Elijah said. She believed Elijah. She believed the word of the Lord by going and doing what he said. And it says here, verse 15, and she and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not indeed spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke to Elijah. She was loved by God through this. God saw the little that she had and he multiplied for the saving of her life and the saving of Elijah's life for the saving of her own child. This is the love of God. And so we see forgiveness here, right? Forgiveness. We see that the Lord is working in this way. We see that God is bringing about his spiritual blessing, even through this widow in this place where idol worship runs rampant. For Christ spoke about Eliza. He spoke about this widow in Luke 4. He spoke about the blessing that he brings through this Gentile in this small place where the worship of God was not, but God was bringing about his worship for his people, even in this land. And so in this drought, the only thing that she had in her life that probably was the most precious to her was her son. And as I read earlier, they were, she was just looking forward to dying. She wasn't even look, she's just looking for it like, I know it's going to happen. But see, God had provided such a provision for her that there was great hope that they would indeed live. But God does something here. God allows her son to die. Why in the world would God do a thing like that? She questions God. Elijah questions God. Why, why did you let her son die, Lord? Things were going great. You were providing. And yet, death still came through. And Eliza goes to her. And he takes the child in his arm. And he carried the child to his upper room. In the upper room, Elijah began to cry out to the Lord. In the upper room, he spoke to God and reasoned with God on behalf of the child. In the upper room, Elijah began to go to work, and that work was prayer unto God. He stretched himself upon the child three times, 
And this was the movement in his prayer life. Some scholars would say one for the Father, one for the Son, one for the Holy Spirit. No matter what, he's, in, in, he's intentional. He's earnest in prayer. He cries out to the Lord, Oh Lord, my God. Oh Lord, my God. And sometimes that's all that we can say when we're facing a dead situation. Oh Lord, my God. When a relationship that we desperately wanted has ended. Oh Lord, my God. When your children don't listen and you told them the same thing again and again. Oh Lord, my God. When you don't feel saved and God seems to be far off. Oh Lord, my God. When you come to the new year and nothing seems new, oh Lord, my God, is all that we can say sometimes. But pray on, saints, as Elijah does here. We have to pray on, believing on, praying like this, that God would turn a dead situation around, that he would even make you better than you can ever think or imagine. Oh Lord, my God. Let this child's life come in him again. And you know, there are times when God does not answer, right? Like, God, where are you? And this doesn't mean that his arm is too short to save. The non-answer may be the saving word that you indeed need. Sometimes our motives are a bit skewed. And we think that we have in mind the things of God, but we don't. But pray on anyway. God is able to change that situation, too, because remember, his sovereign love is for you, not against you. In this situation, the life of the child came into him again. The Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, not only to give new life, but to revive the child. You see, the child was really, really dead, and God gave life into his lungs, but God also healed him. He revived him. He was made new. The Lord brought him to good health. Elijah says to her, see, your son lives. See what God has done. The Lord God of Israel. See, you can put your trust in his word. See what God has done. And the woman says to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in, that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. It is the true word of God. God, brought, God brings about saving faith in this house. That he would turn her heart towards him. That she would believe in his steadfast love by believing in his word. That she would believe in his presence. The presence of the man of God. The presence of the spirit of God that's in her house. That she would believe. It's only when God resurrected her son, her eyes were open to the power of God to, to bring things new, to turn dead situations around. God was working faith in this household, the household of a Gentile. He also was strengthening Elijah's faith through this. Elijah had to pray. And the Bible speaks of his prayer life as powerful and effective. He brought the mom to believe in the word of God. Sovereign love saves her one and only son by bringing him back from the dead. And that's what sovereign love does, does it not? God sets his compassion upon us through Jesus Christ our Lord. God killed his one and only son so that we would know 
the security of his love and not doubt. God turned away from his son and first forsake his son for the sake of you and me so that we would not be forsaken by our heavenly father. So that we would know that he is the one that sustains us through the drought, even a spiritual drought of our hearts. He's able to turn that situation around. And through Jesus' death and resurrection, that's saving grace for anybody who will put their trust in Jesus today. So that you can have true life and life abundantly and life to the full. This is the saving work of God. This is the sovereign love of God in our lives. Jesus was the one who was left to die in the spiritual drought of the human condition so that we may live and believe in the word of God and be carried by God wherever he so pleased so that we can be a blessing unto the nations, unto one another, so that we can be the ones to make this type of application for us today that we can trust in the authority of God's care for each and every one of us this year. You know, to, to join a whole line of preachers, that's 2020 vision. <laughs> we are the one that, ones that God is giving his saving grace to so that we can turn from idols that trip us up in our hearts. There are some things that we do tend to carry in our hearts. And God is saying, I need you to put that to death. Put it to death with me. Don't make me have to come and bring my hand of discipline to you. That's my love for you, but I'd rather do this as we reason together about that thing that you need to put out of your life. Some of you know what that is. Turn from those idols today. Talk to God in prayer about the lack that you may feel when you feel like you have been betrayed by a friend or neighbor or friend. Talk to God in prayer when you don't feel like there's enough ideas or creativity on your jobs. We all go through dry times spiritually. Tell God about it. He's ready to listen. He's ready to revive you. Touch someone else's life today with your generosity. You may not have enough for your own family. This could be food, clothing, whatever it is, shelter. Just because there's an appearance of plenty doesn't mean everyone has plenty at their disposal. Share with the needy, which are all of us in some type of way, right? We're all emotionally needy. Let's go out of our way to befriend one another. We're mentally needy, right? Let's be patient with each other. For some, this could mean deciding how you will use even the things that God gives you, finances, materialistic things to be a blessing. Some are cutting out in order to indeed stretch forward to be a blessing to others this year. And lastly, tell someone about the sovereign love that governs your life. Would you take a stab at that? Praying that God will open a door for your witness on your block. Praying that God will open a door uh, in, the, in the life of your co co-worker on your job. Praying that God will make a way that you can share this love that others' eyes may be open and trust in the word of God. God's arm is not too short to save. Elijah was sent to Zarephath in the land where Baal was most prevalent. God wanted to reach the people in that land as he does every land, no matter what's going on. God is on the throne today. God is ruling. God is ruling by his sovereign love. 
God has given it to us here. So let's go out and show the world this love that would never let us go. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.